0: Right, welcome to the Mets Got Their Ass Kicked by the Nationals edition of the Rico. Not really. The Max Scherzer's ass has been sent to Texas edition of Rico Bronia. And I have to admit, I have to admit something. Uh, for all the talk over the last week, the talk we even did on our latest Rico Bronia about trading Max and trading Justin, and I've been against it. When I found out the news, and I actually found out the news from a chain of Tiki Barber and Pete Hoffman because I spent Saturday afternoon at the beach in Connecticut. I was away from my phone jumping into the ocean and all of a sudden I get out, I check my phone, I got 44 text messages and the first one I see is Tiki threatening us, saying if there's no instant reaction to the max trade, I'm unsubscribing from Rico bronia So I, that's how I found out about this thing. But my initial thought when I saw they were trading Max Scherzer, and they were, and and the first name I saw, and I thought there were going to be more names, but the first name I saw was Luis Angel Acuna, who turned out to be the only guy they got back. And I quickly did a check on who he was. Obviously, my reaction was, "All right, it's not the worst thing in the world." Even though I had thought about this for the last few weeks. And it didn't make a lot of sense because of the fact that you need to replace Max Scherzer. And we'll discuss this at length today on the pod. But my first reaction upon hearing the news was, all right, fine. Get rid of the bum. See ya. Guy don't want to be here anymore. Guy let us down in the biggest of spots. Fine. See you later. Now, obviously... A lot of little details have come out over the last few hours. I also sat down at 10 o'clock at night and watched the Met game, which was just a complete disaster. Carlos Carrasco sucks. Mark Vientos should never pick up a glove ever again. He is so bad defensively at third base. And the Mets lose a game to the Nationals that I know is an afterthought because of the Max Scherzer trade. But I also got this feeling from the SNY and the Mets broadcast that to me, maybe I'm detached from reality felt detached from reality. Like all I kept hearing through the broadcast is anybody can be traded now. Even Steve Gelb said they may not try to compete next year. They'll just try to be competitive. And I'm thinking to myself, why? Because they traded Max Scherzer. It will be difficult to replace him, but it's one guy they traded. Like they didn't blow the whole team up. They didn't trade Brandon Nimmo. They didn't trade Pete Alonzo. They didn't trade Francisco Lindor. I don't think all of a sudden Steve Cohen's going to have this new game plan of, ah, we're just getting younger and athletic. We're not trying to win. I, I'm still under the belief that during the offseason, they're going to spend a lot of money. They just spent a lot of money. In trading Max Scherzer, the Mets just spent a fortune. The Mets are basically paying for Max Scherzer, essentially. So I don't know if I'm detached from reality and I'm trying to avoid maybe what the truth is, but I do not get the impression that this is the Mets saying we're completely rebuilding. Why? Because of this one decision? Like, it's going to be expensive to replace Max Scherzer. And that was my whole thing that, hey, you got to replace his spot in the rotation and you're already paying a fortune to get rid of him. Now, the positive is you're paying a fortune to get rid of him. You'll pay a fortune to replace him. But meanwhile, you just added a guy who's a legitimate prospect and a guy who's close. See, there are two things that Luis Angel Acuna does for us that the two kids they got back in the Robertson trade don't exactly do. And I'll tell you exactly what they are. Number one, this guy is close. The other two kids they got back are teenagers, they're lottery tickets, and while they may turn out to be big-time prospects in two, three years, or maybe used at trade chips in the next couple of years, we don't know. Our first reaction to looking them up was, I think a top 100 prospect, where are they ranked in the Marlins system? And obviously, those first two things did not jump out at you. So number one, not known enough as a prospect to know what they are. And number two, they're years and years away. So for Pete and I and everyone else to think about 2027 is very difficult. What Luis Angel Acuna does is a number one. We could go to baseball reference. We can see his numbers at double A. Double A doesn't feel like a million years away. And you see, whoa, this athletic guy. Whoa, this guy's stealing 50 bases a year. Whoa, he may develop a little bit of pop. Whoa, he's hitting 300. You also see he's a highly regarded prospect. He's a top 60 MLB prospect. You also see that his date of arrival could be next year. So it's easier to think of him as a part of the short-term solution than just, hey, that's a guy you're throwing into the farm system, we'll see him in 5 years. And I think maybe that's why now that there's a name and there's reality to it, that I look at this trade and say, okay, I can see how this works out well. If you're going to financially spend to replace the middle of the rotation our Max Scherzer has become in conjunction with all the money you're already spending on him, and you've replaced him, and you're also adding a top prospect. Joe DeMeo. who we both respect, says, this guy becomes the number one prospect in the Met Farm system. Okay, that means something. And he's close. And so that's why I think as this night went on for me, and I just found out about it in the last few hours. Really, the way I found out about it was weird. I got the note from Tiki and Hoff at about 7.30 at night. But then I put my phone away because I wanted to DVR the Met game. So I had the little bits of information and then I kind of had my wife check my phone to see if she could tell me, Hey, is the Scherzer deal done? And it really didn't work out very well. She was checking it. And she's like, what should I say? Can I see what else is said? I was like, you can see whatever you want to said, but I don't want the Mets score. So as bad as the Mets may be right now, I'm still anal about DVRing Mets games. So when I finally got home and started this game at 10 o'clock at night, I'm following the Mets broadcast. So Game obviously started late because of a rain delay and pretty much immediately Gary Cohn says, Hey, Heyman's reporting deal is done. So as the night is going on, I'm getting my details from Gary and Ron who were telling me, okay, here's Joel Sherman's tweet about the money. Here's the player that's coming back and it's happening and there's no holdup. So that's really where I was. Then I finished the game probably about midnight. I then checked my phone for more details And then say, hey, Pete, let's start the podcast. So it's still relatively new information for me. And so here's how I'd explain this. All my views are the same in terms of the worry about replacing Max Scherzer. But now that there's a name attached to it, now that I see how close the kid they got back is, I also digest the fact that Max Scherzer is a douche who didn't want to be here anymore. So he can go F himself. All right. I have warmed up to why this
1: makes sense how you feeling pete you feel the same way not not a hundred percent there's a couple things here first of all you didn't go through the waves of emotions that we were going through not saying that um there was a lot of them but there were like you heard the rumors that scherzer was close that they were talking then you started to see all these names appear none of them were Cunha. At first, it was uh Brock, Brock, I think it was. or Brock someone, Porter. Yeah, got pulled from his game that he was pitching in. There was two or three other guys that got, that got pulled that weren't in the lineup today. And it, people are like, oh, what's going on here? How many names are being involved? I heard, listen, the one thing I will say is the money is what it is. When it sounded like it got official, I was hoping for more than just one name, and that name I was hoping for was going to be a pitcher. So you're right. Acuna, is, we, if he's anything like his brother, it's going to be amazing. He also plays the shortstop position that we already have a shortstop locked up. So what does that mean? You're right. His time coming up, or estimate time is not too far away, but we keep on doing the surplus of offensive players or, or position players. Why not a freaking starting pitcher?
0: Yeah. So I, I saw after the fact, the Brock Porter thing, you mentioned Brock Porter is a single a pitcher. So he's projected to get here in about two or three years. And he's, he's, he's a top prospect. I think he's ranked higher than Jack Leiter which is obviously the name most of us are familiar with, and he has struggled in the minor leagues. So I saw after the fact that Porter was pulled, I'm not sure if that was related or not, or if it was a coincidence, or if those names were being discussed. Yeah, if if you saw this and thought they were getting not only Acuna, but two other players, and then it's just Acuna, I can understand the disappointment. But when we talked about trading Max Scherzer, and let's not forget where he is right now. He is an average middle-of-the-rotation arm, making enormous money. So for the Texas Rangers, the Rangers aren't paying him enormous money, so they are paying him as if he is a middle-of-the-rotation guy. Because think about it. He is owed, I guess, combined, if you look at the $42.5 million plus the $15 million he's still owed for the rest of this season, and the Mets are throwing in $36 million, The Rangers aren't really paying him a lot over the next two years. In fact, I don't think they're paying him anything this year. And then they're paying him about $20 million next year, which is the running salary for a middle of the rotation guy. So while they gave up a lot, maybe in terms of the player, because it is a top prospect, the Rangers aren't paying him a lot. But let's not forget for us, Pete, he has been up and down. He has not been great. So maybe our expectation, even with the Mets paying as much as they're paying for him, to expect that they were going to get multiple top five prospects from an organization was probably unrealistic. I mean, did did any of us think they were going to get multiple top five prospects no matter how much the Mets are
1: paying? Not not for Scherzer, but I did think for Verlander because we've seen him look better as of late. That's what we so, had in the discussion last, the last podcast. Uh,
0: yes, we did. This is not Verlander. It's a different discussion. Like, it's a different pitcher. It's a different human. Like, my confidence towards Justin Verlander is very different than my confidence towards Max Scherzer. It just is. I mean, Verlander A has been better this season after missing that first month, and he hasn't completely kicked us in the nuts the way Max Scherzer has over the last year and a half. So, if this was a Verlander trade and or they are trading Justin Verlander, then yeah, I would expect that return. I would have a higher bar for that return. I guess I'm I'm partially surprised they got this much back. I I am, and I and I think that's a part of why when we were talking about this the other day on the Rico, I wasn't in favor of trading Max because I didn't think they were going to get a lot back. So you telling me they're getting a top 100 Major League prospect, which he is, according to MLB Pipeline, the third best prospect in the Rangers organization, actually ranked higher than Jack Leiter and ranked higher than Brock Porter, it's not a bad return. Now, as far as the position stuff, and we'll get to the fact he's not a pitcher. He's not going to play shortstop here. Most young players come up as shortstops and then move to other positions. That happens a ton. Chipper Jones came up as a shortstop. Edgardo Alfonso came up as a shortstop. I know I'm going back 30 years. Ronnie Mauricio came up as a shortstop. And then eventually you learn other positions. Do they view Acuna more as a outfielder or more as a second baseman? I don't know. I'm not sure how they feel about it. I was looking that he has played the outfield. He has played a little second base. He has mostly played shortstop. That never overly concerns me because shortstop is where you put your best athletes. So you're naturally going to move off of that position. I assume he's an outfielder. I am intrigued by the stolen bases. That, that is the number one thing that jumped out at me about this kid. Because when you look at the Mets right now in a day and age in which the rules have changed and teams are stealing bases Starling Marte has been their stolen base merchant. He's been their guy. And obviously, he hasn't had the greatest offensive season. He's on the injured list right now. Ideally, you would want either a leadoff hitter or a ninth place hitter stealing a million bases. As much as I love Brandon Nimmo, he has not taken that step as a base stealer, and it's never happening. If it's not happening now, it's not happening next year. So I am intrigued to see this young athletic kid who can steal 50 bases a year. Where does he fit on this roster? If you look at the next two, three years, and you look at the way this team is built, center field is set, left field is not, right field is not, because of the versatility of McNeil, and I guess the possibility they could move him, not now, but certainly in the offseason, second base is wide open. First base and shortstop, I feel good about. They're, They're set. You're not trading Lindor. I'm not a fan of trading Alonzo. I think third base is probably set, even though God knows Mark Vientos. I mean, man, jeez. I can't watch this kid play third base anymore. I know we're going to see a lot of bad stuff over the next two months because you got to see what you got. I see what they got defensively from Vientos. And it ain't good in left uh, third base. I'd rather stick him in the outfield at this point and see how bad he is there. But my point is, second base, left field, and right field, maybe even center field, if you're moving Nimmo off center – those are the positions you're kind of looking at over the next two, three years saying, okay, are there internal replacements? Or are you going to do it via free agency? Now, let me address this pitching thing with you because I think the Cubs did this with that young core they built that eventually won the World Series. They were loaded with position players. Loaded. We all remember who they were. They bought all their pitching. While that hasn't worked the last two years for the Mets, obviously, this year has been a colossal failure. I think that's probably what they're doing. That if their better prospects they were going to get were going to be position players, and they like Luis Angel Acuna better than any pitching prospect they were getting from Texas or any pitching prospect they were getting from Miami. I think they look at Senga, who's the only certainty. We'll see about Verlander over the next few days. And I think they look at the free agents of next year and the free agents of the year after that and say, we're going to just buy our pitching. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just
1: that. Learn more at Marines.com.
0: I think that's it. Now, they do have some kids in their system. This kid, Christian Scott, continues to pitch fantastically. Now, is he projected to be at the top of the rotation guy? Probably not, even though who knows. So I think that the game plan, Pete, was the same game plan we talked about this past offseason, which is... They're going to buy their pitching. And just because it didn't work necessarily over the last two years, or really this year, because it sort of worked last year, they won 101 games, doesn't mean they're going to get away from that. Now, maybe what they should do is when they buy their pitching, buy younger pitchers. Don't necessarily buy the guys who are 38 or 39 years old. Because there are guys who are available in free agency, starting pitchers next year. I'll give you the list right now. I'll tell you who's out there. Shohei Ohtani is a free agent. Have you heard of him? Are we familiar with him? He's out there. Uh, And there's a bunch of old guys. Lance Lynn is old. Eduardo Rodriguez has an opt-out. He's only 31 years old. I mentioned Julio Urias is only 27 years old. Uh, It's not a great list, by the way. I'm not trying to present it like it is. I think once you get past the top-line guys, there's a major, major fall-off. You know, Aaron Nola is intriguing. Lucas Giolito is intriguing. I know you guys are going to hate this with Sonny Gray because you think you can't handle New York. I'm not convinced that was his problem with the Yankees. That's just me. But Sonny Gray is a free agent. Blake Snell is a free agent. Luis Severino is a free agent. Jordan Montgomery is a free agent. Um, average, uh, you know, middle of the rotation guys. If you believe Erlander can remain an ace and you believe Kodai Senga could be an ace, And he's had a very good year this year. Those are the kinds of starting pitchers that you're looking at. And I think that's how they're going to build their rotation over the next couple of years.
1: Yeah, well, that's the problem. I don't like that list. Obviously, Otani's different. But if we don't get Otani, there's a huge drop-off. And at some point in time, you are going to have to commit to a longer-term contract. You're not going to be able to get, like, all right, well, we'll get Lance Lynn for a year. Is that going to be effective? No, it's not. We've 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 seen it now with Scherzer, and we'll see how that goes with Verlander. Eventually, you need some sort of sustainability there, right? I mean, I would I would think, yeah. yeah. And that that's the that's the only issue I really have with this whole. I I get it. You want to be secure with the position players, so for that that aspect of it, I appreciate. But I I wish there was a little bit more TLC for the uh, for the pitching.
0: Yeah, and what they're also doing, I know this is Steve Cohen, and it's his money, and I appreciate how much he's spending. They are going to have to to buy the replacement for Max Scherzer. And this was the point I've been making the last few days about this. That replacement is probably making, and let's just say for the sake of it, Lucas Giolito. That's the guy the Mets signed to essentially replace Max Scherzer. Verlander's still in the rotation. Senga's still in the rotation. Let's say Quintana's still in the rotation, and you probably need to add two starting pitchers, maybe more, if we're being honest, because now you got to replace Max Scherzer. You need to replace what you were projecting to get from him. But let's say you got to pay Lucas Giolito $25 million, which I think is a kind of a fair number, maybe even more. Maybe it's $30 million. You're already spending $36 million, and I don't know how you want to split what they're spending this year to cover Max and what they're spending next year to cover Max because Max Scherzer is going to opt into his deal next year. It's part of the deal. And of the $42.5 million he's making next season, along with the money he's still owed this year, the Mets are sending a check for $36 million. So if you want to say, I don't even know how you want to phrase it. Let's just say they're paying for Max Scherzer this season. So the $15.8 million the Mets are paying for. So that means the Mets are paying $21 million of next year's 43. That means whatever pitcher you sign, add the $21 million you're paying Max Scherzer. So if you buy Giolito for 30 it's actually costing you $51 million. Now, you're also getting a prospect back, which I can't ignore, but that's what made this difficult. If Steve Cohen doesn't care... And so far, he has given us every indication. He does not care about how much money he's paying. Then fine. Then great. Then the Mets are spending $50 million to get a starting pitcher that's probably on the same level as Max Scherzer, production-wise now, and a top prospect. To most owners, they would say that's a horrible financial investment. To Steve Cohen, maybe he says, great, that's a Sunday.
1: I mean, to me, though, eventually that's got to run out. Like, eventually he can't do that for much. It's not sustainable. It really, like, he's bleeding money. Listen, and again, you're right. It's his money. Good for us. Good for us that he wants to do that. But eventually, common sense is he's a businessman. He doesn't want to bleed money like that that much. It, eventually, it's going to stop. But I don't think it's stopping this offseason,
0: do you? Because that's the impression I got from the way the SNY broadcast talked about this as the the sell off that's going on. You never know who's next. They're they're not going to be a contender next year. Not going to be a contender. That means Steve Cohen's basically saying, eh, I'm not really going to go out and spend and try to improve this roster." I don't
1: buy that. Yeah, but not for nothing. SNY was very weird because Gelbs and I like Steve Gelbs. Don't get me wrong, but he was sitting there saying like. Uh notice how the pitching was just the 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 team from day 1 was just missing something. Notice right. how they weren't a tight unit. There wasn't those close shots of the of the pitching staff talking to each other at the time cuz they don't they didn't do it this year. They're just right. like like to me is that is that a problem going forward? Is if they, no, if that's I, legitimate is the, it's not going to the connection's not going to be there.
0: So I like Steve Giles. All right. I think he's a good reporter. I thought that is such B.S. Because first of all, if that's how you felt that there's a disconnect, oh, we knew since spring training something was off. Well, then as a reporter, open your mouth and say something. The fact that you're saying that now, after the team has had a horrible season and is now beginning to trade guys away, is what kind of reporting is that? I'm sorry, like seriously, you you tell us that now? If you had a sense. And, and I get that would make you unpopular in the locker room to come out in April and say, hey, guys, just got to tell you, things feel off. But you, saying that now is useless. I'm sorry. Saying that now, to me, lacks credence. Because you're looking for, hey, why did things go bad? And we're all trying to do that. Why did things go bad? And you try to come up with reasons. Well, they are, the pitchers weren't talking with each other. Is that why they sucked? Is that why Max Scherzer was terrible? Is that why Cookie Carrasco's got a six and a half ERA? He's not talking with each other. Is that the reason? I don't buy that crap at all. The the chemistry argument, which has been made by a lot of people, and I raise my hand. I'm out in the room. I don't know. But the chemistry argument is so convenient. Guys underperformed. Top to bottom. Guys underperformed. Now, did they underperform because, as Ron Darling said, they're not pulling on the same rope? What? They're not pulling on the same road. I just think sometimes we look for reasons why things failed. I'll give you the reason. Too many guys sucked this year. Too many guys, for probably very different reasons, did not play well this year. So I heard that, and I got to tell you, it annoyed me. I just get annoyed sometimes when reporters after the fact like to tell us something. Say it in the moment! Say it in May when the team is struggling. Hey, you know, something's off about this room. Something's off about this locker room. You say it now on July 29th when they're selling guys off? That is Monday morning quarterbacking. That's what that is. And I like, and I like SNY. And I like Gelbs. I like Ronnie. But those things annoyed me as I'm watching the game. They weren't pulling on the same rope this year. What? What is that even tell me what that's based on? That they all sucked that Jeff McNeil went from winning a batting title to hitting 250 because they weren't pulling on the same rope. The pitchers not talking to each other. That's what caused Carlos Carrasco to have a six and a half ERA. That's what caused Max Scherzer to have a four ERA and blow every freaking lead handed to him because him and Chris Bassett weren't talking pitching in the dugout. Hey, I saw Francisco Lindor, Pete Alonso, and Tommy Pham always give each other tips after every at-bat. I saw that all, the, all this year. But if they're winning, isn't that great? They all give each other tips. It's amazing. Such a great room. But because they're losing, everybody hates each other and nobody's pulling on the same rope. I just don't buy it. I think sometimes we all try to be too cute and come up with so many different reasons to explain something simple. They all sucked this year. That's what happened. They all sucked. Let me read some of these emails, see what people are thinking. Lucas Saigen writes, good riddance. I completely get your point about Max and that we could use him for next year. However, you've given him too much slack on his comments in the last 11 months. In September, when he told Rosenthal he needed to get to the offseason and he's blowing games to the Braves before the Padres debacle. Well, first of all, Lucas I did not cut him any slack for that crap. I think we had a very vicious rip fest when he made that comment. So you can go to the archives and check that one out. I did not give him a free pass for that. But maybe I did for this second part. And then yesterday, I know you read the transcript, but his tone was so pompous and douchey. If he was performing, I'd live with it. Not with a four ERA and coming up so small when we needed him the most. Glad Stevie banned him to Texas. Good riddance. I'll give you the second part. I will because we were doing the Rico after the Friday night game, and those comments were occurring as we were podcasting. I read the transcript. You're right; it's black and white. It's not hearing his tone. It's not hearing his voice. It's no one wants to hear from Max Scherzer, who is the biggest reason a they choked out last year. He is. He crapped the bed in Game One against the Padres. He crapped the bed in the Atlanta series. He so he was the biggest reason they didn't go further last year. And he's certainly one of the big contributing reasons why this team is underachieved this year. It's, it's not great to hear someone immediately want to jump off the ship. And I'm sorry, Pete, I apologize to 97% of the audience. You know what it reminds me of. And I'll just tell you it's Kevin Durant. It's a guy who, when the going got bad said, get me the hell out of here. That's what Durant did. And he was sent to Phoenix. And that's basically what Max did. I think Lucas is right about that. Those comments on Friday night were basically, yeah, I got something to do with it. Like you did take some responsibility, but get me the hell out of here. I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not, you know why we shouldn't be surprised and we shouldn't even be angry. The more I think about this, here's why we shouldn't be angry. He's a mercenary, just like Durant was. They are mercenaries. And when guys come here, in Max's case, strictly for the money, in Durant's case, strictly to be close to his friend, Kyrie, when you do that, you have no loyalty. Why would you have any loyalty? Like, for example, Brandon Nimmo and Pete Alonso, I'm pretty sure, are not going to management to say, hey, I need a meeting. What's going on here? You want to know why? Because they're Mets. And they've been Mets their whole life. And we know Nimmo's going to be a Met for the rest of his career, barring a shocking trade. And I'm pretty sure Pete wants to be a Met for the rest of his career. So when you get in bed with mercenaries, which the Mets have, which the Nets have, which I guess the Jets have now with Aaron Rodgers, when you get in bed with mercenaries, understand loyalty. Don't go very far. So that's a good email, Lucas. I agree with part of what you said. Uh, Daniel Somerfelt wrote all about Gelbs' point about the chemistry. Uh, he wrote a whole, basically what Gelbs wrote and then said, what do you guys think about these comments? Gelbs would be a great guest for the pot. We should have Gelbs on. And I would ask him in a nice way, why do you say it now? And by the way, maybe he has a reason. No, maybe he'll tell me, look, Evan, it'd be too difficult in that room if I said it then. And that's a, by the way, as much as that may annoy me, that's a, that's an honest answer, and he's right. Like, I get that if if he says this in April, he comes out early report, April 20th, and says, hey, guys, I'm noticing something off about this locker room. The pitchers aren't hanging out, whatever, whatever he wants to come up with. That would cause an issue. There'd be guys who wouldn't want to talk to him, but you know what? We would have taken notice. Doing it now, I just don't like it.
1: I don't like it. Do you real quick though? Because one thing that was said going into the season about Verlander and Scherzer, I always heard that they weren't the best of friends, and I'm just just buying into that whole philosophy now. If he does come out and say, "Hey, I couldn't say it for professional purposes," okay, fine, but if the locker room changed, is it because Verlander and Scherzer really just don't mesh together?
0: Ah, uh, you mean the pitchers' chemistry? I don't know. Maybe it's because the guys just didn't have that same close relationship. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't freaking know. Maybe it was Kodai Senga's learning English. Like, let's be honest about this. Kodai Senga came over from Japan. Maybe Kodai Senga doesn't feel comfortable enough because he doesn't know the language well enough to sit there with his arm around Max Scherzer breaking down pitching. Like, I'm sure as the season's going on, I did see a clip from Saturday night of Kodai and Pete Alonso talking, and I don't know what it was about. But yeah, maybe Senga's getting more comfortable and he's talking more. But early on, I could understand why. You stick me in a locker room in which I don't know the language. I might put my arm around a, a Hall of Famer to say, hey, let me give you some tips on my slider. You know? Uh I'm trying to think of the rest of the rotation. So Quintana wasn't there. And he wasn't there. He was rehabbing 98% of the season. So you're talking about Senga replacing Bassett. And I think, by the way, my answer of what I just gave is reasonable. Like do you really expect Kodai Senga, who's learning the language, <laughs> to be sitting there with his arm around the entire staff saying, ah, this, that, this. Verlander, maybe. Maybe him and Scherzer just can't stand each other. Maybe that has something to do with it.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And then back into end, back end the rotation, they, they were always so up and down I mean, between Casey and McGill. and I mean, you name it. They, they had all these other starters. They don't have consistency. It's one of those things where even if
0: it's true that there wasn't that same bond among pitchers as there was a year ago, does that really explain their issues? Does it? I think sometimes we get too attached to this because it's it's not, I don't know what it is, not as enjoyable to just say, this guy's not playing as well, that guy's not playing as well. So we try to find like reasons why things are going bad.
1: Yeah, but you know what? The this year in particular, things went so south in the you know so quick, and especially after a hundred and one win team season, you feel like something clearly had to happen for this to get so toxic.
0: Um, do you want to trade Verlander? I know that you wanted to a day ago, but now that Max Scherzer is gone and the Mets are going to have to replace those innings somewhere and you don't like who's available via free agency, obviously you can make trades. And certainly with the farm system being deeper, it does give the Mets the uh, more chips to make a trade for a controllable starting pitch, or at least a guy with one year of control. But knowing Max has gone, you still want to trade for Verlander?
1: So the only reason why I say yes is because he is 40 years old. We are committed for more than one this year. We have next year. Uh, is there the opt-in like uh, Scherzer contract too? Or no, no, no. So
0: the the third year for Verlander is based on innings pitched. So if he right. pitches well and he goes out there and makes his starts, there would be a guarantee for twenty five.
1: I have a concern that he falls off next year, and that I can't have. If you can, if Scherzer can bring back a top pick in Acuna, what can a Cy Young-looking Verlander looked like? What can you bring back for him?
0: But but again, now you have to replace both of them. And you don't like the free agent pitchers that are out there. You're not going to want to take more prospects than you probably got back from Max and Justin to then trade for, name the guy you're thinking about, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, whoever you want to come up with. So are you not even trying to win in 2024? Have you changed your
1: approach to twenty no, four? No, I am trying to win 2024. But here's the thing is, because last year I felt differently. Last year was like, I had Jacob DeGrom. I don't need him till the playoffs because the, the team is good enough. This year you need your starters pitching every fifth day. And next year if Verlander is not available to do that, who's who gives you – a better chance to win every fifth day, Justin Verlander or Lucas Giolito, and I could say Lucas Giolito because Verlander might only pitch half the season, right? But you have to replace. Like, think
0: about oh, I know what this rotation right now would look like next year in terms of guys that are still here: Jose Quintana, assuming they don't trade him, Kodai Senga. Like that, that's pretty much the list unless you believe in David Peterson and Joey Lucchese and Tyler McGill and we're going down that rabbit hole. I'm not sure if Mike Vassal's ready or Christian Scott or some of the kids in the system. So now you're looking to go add three or four starting pitchers in free agency and via trade. And those guys via trade, and I'll tell you the names we're thinking about, Shane Bieber, Corbin Burns, I can't say Max free because the Braves will never trade him to the Mets, but he'll only have one year of control left. Those guys are going to be expensive. So I, I for the, the reasons I gave for Max, but now times it by two, because A, I trust Verlander more. I think he's better right now. But then B, I've already lost one guy I got to replace. I got to go replace another guy. And I don't buy. Like I said earlier, that the Mets aren't going to try to win in 2024. I, I don't buy it. Pete Alonzo's in the prime of his career. Jeff McNeil, who you just gave a contract to, is in the prime of his career. Edwin Diaz coming off that injury is in the prime of his career. Francisco Lindor is in the prime of his career. They're going to go for it. And I believe Cohen is going to stick with what he has told us, which is, hey, I'm going to spend in the meantime while we put a system together, which he has backed up with everything he did. Even this trade of Max Scherzer does that because he's spending a fortune to replenish his system, and I'm under the impression he's going to then spend a fortune to
1: replace Max Scherzer. Well, here's the thing is, you just said the Mets are going to go for it. Well, uh, they didn't go for it last year, and they were in a much better situation. How did they not deadline. go
0: for it last year? you got to stop it. In, in, in a trade deadline? They didn't no, no.
1: But, yeah. but Pete, Pete,
0: why didn't they go for it at the trade deadline? Why didn't they? I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I'll I, tell you the reasons that they gave that Steve Cohen gave. They did not want to trade their top prospects. So building a system while spending in free agency is clearly their game plan over the last two years. It worked last year. It did not work this year. It was frustrating at the trade deadline. I give you that. And it was one of the worst trade deadlines one could have. Uh, you can have a good trade deadline without giving up your top line prospects. Sometimes you can trade for you know, fourth outfielders and they can come big for you. Just ask the Atlanta Braves in 2021. So it doesn't exonerate Billy Epler, but Steve Cohen did not want to trade top prospects. So they have, to my point, been very consistent about what the strategy is. The strategy is build the system, spend in the meantime. I'm under the impression that when you fork over $36 million to pay off Max Scherzer just to add a top prospect back, that you're then going to throw another $30 million to improve your pitching next year so you can win while you're developing your system, which is exactly what he said.
1: Uh, Listen, again, I think he's going to spend the money. I think they're going to go for it. I just, If you're asking me what I prefer to do, I don't see why you don't want to maximize that possibility of bringing in more prospects. That's all. That's that's where I'm at now. But and I not, you. Can, you can still find
0: ways to win. You still can. They're not going to uh, get top prospects necessarily for Tommy Pham and Marcana and Carlos Carrasco and Adam Adevino, but all those guys need to be moved before the deadline. I, and I'd include Adevino in that now because. I think after the Robertson trade, even though that was the Mets waving the white flag, there's a small part of me as a Mets fan that says, but they can still win. You know, Maybe they can still get out. Maybe they can go on a run. And if you strip this bullpen even more, it just makes it less likely. It's obviously over now, you know, because not that Max was remarkable, but you're replacing Max with what? You know, are you reinserting David Peterson into the rotation? Are you calling up a Tyler McGill or Joey Lucchese? As much as none of us love Scherzer, he is still significantly better than whoever's going to replace him. He is still capable of giving you seven brilliant innings like he did Friday night, and that's gone. So the Met chances of going on some kind of miraculous run are obviously by the wayside. And that, And look, it sucks. It sucks that we're sitting here, on the last couple of days of July and basically saying this season is over, which it is. Now, one other thing about Scherzer that I know Boomer would get a kick out of, but I'll join him in this. And that is Boomer used to love counting the amount of money the Nets paid Kevin Durant to not play basketball. Like he always found that fascinating, but I think he's consistent. I don't think it was just hating on the Nets. It was the idea of, wow, they paid him, you know, $50 million to not play one year, and then uh, another crazy amount of money to miss another half season, and you start calculating the numbers, and even I'd admit, as a Net fan, it was insane. Not that I regretted signing him. So Max Scherzer's Met career is now over. The New York Mets paid him $43.3 million last year. It was a good season, even though he missed time, and then completely collapsed at the end. So he made $43 million last year. This season, he was making $27.5 million from the Mets prior to the trade. He still owed another 15.8 and then 43.3 next year. Of that remaining $59 million, the Mets are writing a check for 36.6. That means over the course of last year, this year, and I guess parts of next year, the Mets will have paid Max Scherzer one hundred and seven million dollars what did they get for Max Scherzer in spending a hundred and seven million dollars they got 42 starts so let's take the calculator out 42 starts 107 million the New York Mets paid Max Scherzer 2.54 million dollars per start oh this is fun isn't it fun uh His record was 20-9 and nine with a 3.02 ERA. Obviously, not bad numbers. He made, for every win he earned, $5.35 million per win. And look, 20-9, 3.02 ERA. None of us are fooled by that. None of us are fooled by the overall numbers of Matt Scherzer. He was a colossal failure. When you go back to that very night, we were all giddy about the Mets assigning Scherzer. Oh my God, this is great. And I loved it. You loved it. We all loved it. Little did we know we'd be sitting here a year and a half later talking about it in the same light as Tom Glavin. And it is, I I'd actually argue Tom Glavin was a better Met (laughs) because you know why? I'm going to back that up without using emotion. Even though Scherzer's overall numbers are better, nobody could deny that. Tom Glavin took the baseball every five days and he lived up to his contract. Not lived up to his contract. He pitched every five days for the entirety of his contract. And what we forget, I think he signed a second contract. I think the Mets brought him back on a one-year deal. I think that final year of 2007, was actually another contract. You have to look that up. I could be wrong about that. But the point was, Glavin took the baseball and he pitched every day. So when you look at Glavin's career as a Met, we're obviously going to remember the last game of 07. We're obviously going to remember game five of the NLCS against the St. Louis Cardinals. But I would argue this. Even though Scherzer was better overall statistically, Tom Glavin gave us more positive moments over the course of the five years he was here. Three, four, five, six, seven, yeah, five years. Because the reason I think it was a second contract is I think he signed a four-year deal. And so he was on the Mets for five years. So I do think they gave him a second contract. But both guys were similar. They had their similarities. They will be defined by playoff failures. They will be defined as mercenaries who literally only came here because the union would have look down on them if they didn't take that huge contract they got from the New York Mets and they will both be looked down as Hall of Famers who are more known for being Hall of Famers elsewhere and they both had just kind of pathetic ends Glavin's end was walking off the field in 07 Scherzer's end was saying I need to speak to Steve Cohen I need to talk to ownership I need to find out what the hell is going on Separated by 20 years, Tommy Glavin and Max Scherzer. I leave you with a very, very important question. And we did receive one email asking this question. It was a thought I had as I was watching Mets Nationals on Saturday night. Should I make any comments about this game? Or should I save it for the series wrap up?
1: Uh, Save it for the wrap up.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. They suck and they lost. And Carlos Carrasco's terrible. And Mark Vientos can't play third base. I think that summarizes the game very well. The question was asked, hey, when the Texas Rangers come to City Field, <laughs> we were all thinking about DeGrom, Jake's return. And, and I believe, especially considering everything that has transpired between the bad stuff with Jake needing Tommy John, and the bad stuff with Max, you correct me if I'm wrong, if Jacob DeGrom makes that trip because he wants to come back for one day, I think he would get a ridiculous, I think his standing ovation he would get would be far louder than any one of us could have thought, let's say three months ago. I do. I think circumstances sometimes and events sometimes lead to different feelings you know I was going to give him a standing ovation but I think the majority of Met fans will now view him differently but that's not my question my question is Max Scherzer we know he's going to get booed but what we don't know Pete are the Mets going to put together a tribute video for Max Scherzer upon his return
1: oh my god they're going to yes they're going to. Yes. Um, but, oh, why? It's, it's going to be big. What are they going to put together? What are they going <laughs> to uh, put They're going to put together bullying? the
0: uh, six perfect innings in Milwaukee last year. Oh. Put that, I mean, he, he had good performances. There's no question about that. They're, they're going to put together, you know, him striking out Aaron Judge last year in the Subway Series. They're going to put a video up there. It is not going to be met with positivity. It will not. And I plan on making sure I'm there for Max's return.
1: So I can boo his ass, man. (laughs) Well, that's if he's healthy. That's if he's playing.
0: (laughs) Oh, he'll play. And and I hope he gets bombed. I hope he's terrible. I hope he's awful. I I guess I am rooting against the Texas Rangers now. I hope your Dan Alvarez just abuses him. I hope the Astros... And Yankee fans, for all you voyeuristic Yankee fans, not that you're making the playoffs, but if God forbid you did, I hope you torture him too. It's not even a question for me. I want that man tortured. I (laughs) want him beat up. I want his career ending, you know, basically the way his Met career went. Like, he could have some good moments. That's okay. But when it matters the most, like it did against the San Diego Padres, like it did against the Atlanta Braves, I want him to come uh, come up very small. Because it will anger us if he goes to Texas and pitches great, won't it? He'll piss us
1: off. Oh, my God. Yeah. I- I'm expecting that he'll, you know, finish the season. He'll have like an ERA under two and he'll get to the playoffs. He'll be like an MVP.
0: Yeah, I don't. I think he's going to get bombed. I think he stinks. He stinks. All right. So we'll, we'll just stick with that. He stinks. <laughs> you can email the pod your thoughts on everything that went down the ricob at gmail.com. It's a reminder. And I always have this reminder. I'm always very honest about how I feel good, bad. I'm just going to tell you how I feel. How sometimes when you talk about things in theory, you have a very strong opinion. And then when it happens, it feels different. And I admit that as much as I still have trepidation about this trade. And we talked about it on the pod in terms of replacing Scherzer in that kind of production, my reaction upon finding out was a lot more positive than I thought it would be. Basically considering I've been arguing against this over the last few days, the David Robertson thing was exactly how I thought I would feel. You know, (laughs) I didn't want to trade David Robertson. It was a white flag trade. And as soon as it went down, I was so freaking angry that night I've calmed myself down. That's the beauty of this podcast, by the way. Um, I go on the air at two o'clock during the week. So unless something happens in the moment, like the James Harden trade, um, like whatever else, whatever other breaking news we've had, you know, most of the time, if something happens at night or happens on the weekend, my raw emotions aren't on the radio. It's okay. I thought about it. Here's how I feel about it now. Because I think all of us feel maybe different about things after something happens compared to a few hours later. Or a few days later. So I think the beauty of the podcast, when we're able to do it, is you can kind of have that instant reaction to things and how you initially felt versus, hey, a few days later, I actually feel different about things. And that's natural. That's how we are. That's how we are. So we'll have another pod after this series is over. Maybe there'll be another trade. Who the hell knows? And then, luckily, we're going to be live on the air, Evan and Tiki, Tuesday from 2 to 6.30 with the trade deadline right in the middle. So if there are deadline deals as the clock is hitting six o'clock, we'll be live on the air to react to it. And that's always fun. I was on the air with Joe when the Mets traded for Cespedes back in 2015. And we were very, very excited. Very, very, very relieved and very, very excited. And who knew how it would turn out?
1: I think you were on the air last year with Craig Carton when they got Darren Ruff too. (laughs) I was. That's a good point. (laughs) You're right.
0: You're right. I was. I think the big one that will live in the Carton and Roberts infamy was James Harden. Was the re and by the way, was that not an instant reaction? Dribble, 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 fat, fat. I mean, I was I was crazy that day. And and by the way, how right was I? I know. <laughs> sometimes I'm really wrong. Really wrong. And sometimes. You are so effing right. And that Harden one, give me this. I got that one right.
1: Listen, you just want to get the Nets back into this podcast. You should do a Net podcast soon. (laughs) I used to.
0: The Rico's <laughs> taken so much away from me that I barely do it, which is a problem. That's all your fault, Pete. All your fault.
1: It's not my fault. It's the people's fault because the people want it. Dude, all I get every day now is, when's the next Rico? I mean, we're getting texts from Tiki saying, where's the Where's the Rico? I know, right? It- T- Tiki threatened us. He basically this, said, this, if
0: there's it- no Scherzer reaction, I'm done. I'm on I'm the subscribe. <laughs> but we gave it to you. Hopefully you enjoyed it. We will have another Rico. I give you this schedule. We'll have a Rico after this Washington series talking about the series and then anything else with the trades. We'll obviously have a Rico right after the trade deadline on Tuesday night. So it'll be, I'd say, after the Mets-Royals game that's played Tuesday. And so maybe a little bit about the game, but then also kind of a wrap-up of the trade deadline and then another Rico after the Royals series ends. So there's a lot of Ricos coming up over the next couple days and weeks. And, and, And I'll say this one more time. To my fellow Met fan, when it is the depths of August and it is the depths of September, and we're not talking about the Mets on WFAN, we will talk about the Mets here. And even as things get bleak and dark and irrelevant, the Rico Bronia is going nowhere. Even if our downloads go way down, because there's only you know a few of you that care about Mets baseball in mid-September, 37 and a half games out of first place. I promise you this, we ain't going anywhere. But thank you for listening and downloading another edition of Rico Brogna. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronya podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.